Thank you. It is such a joy to be here. I love coming to this church. I love seeing you. Guys, you know, every year I come and then I see people having babies or people growing up, the babies growing up. It's just such a privilege to be here on a, on a regular basis with, with you guys. But happy Mother's Day to the moms. And uh, I just want to say, if you're a mom who is waiting to hear your son, like King Lemuel, write down your teachings, I don't know. I, how many moms have had that happen to you? I haven't yet. And if you're, ma, if you're a mom and you're waiting for your children to stand up and call you blessed, uh, you'll have to wait till they are 25 and the prefrontal cortex kicks in because it doesn't happen until then. Um, I have three, as Cassie said, I have three kids and it's only now, my oldest son is 26 and only now I see that whole thing, uh, you know, the tall one coming back in of like, mom, you know, he woke up early to pray with me this morning and it's like, wow, this is what I've been waiting for 26 years. Maybe he'll write a story about me. And <laughs> I have to tell you, my uh, daughter had COVID and so I, you know, risked life and limb, drove all the way to her college in Minnesota, picked her up, brought her back, and took care of her in the basement. She was in, quarantined in the basement. And you would think that she would stand up and call me blessed. But no, I got a text from her that when she was quarantined that said, hey, is there a variety in the cooking over here now? Because we are empty nesters and we cook just once and two, you know, twice in a week. And she was just like, let's have some variety here. And I'm like, really? Your mother risked her life for you? Anyways. So, so wait, it'll happen. If you ha you're a mom with little kids, just wait. And if you are 25 and you haven't stood up and called your mom blessed, you should. Because it's about time. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's been a hard year for all of us, hasn't it? Uh, I know it's been a hard year for a lot of moms who've been at home. I mentor a number of young women and it's just been really a struggle to pivot, juggling, juggling home, schooling, business, losses, fear, life being out of control, just trying to keep it all together. And as I look past uh, at this 2020 and 2021, uh, and we're already almost in the middle of 2021. It's all, you know, I feel like I've been on the zip line. You know, you're just like careening down this mountain and there's no stopping it. It's you're zooming through life either literally or figuratively. So blessings on you this Mother's Day. Uh, for some of you, it's not a happy Mother's Day. It's a hard Mother's Day. But blessings on you because you have persevered, you have endured, you have persisted, you've held on, not just in your career or in your parenting, but in your discipleship and walk with Jesus. And that's why you're here this morning. And I cannot tell you how encouraging it is to see you here this morning because you have held on. 
I think one of the things that have, has marked this year for me have been the choices that we as a family have had to make. Uh, and it's not just us. I think a lot of you have been making these choices. Do we send our kids to school? Do we keep them at home? Do we wear a mask? Do we not wear a mask? Do we attend a community event? Do we not attend a community event? Do we visit our grandparents? Do we stay at home? Uh, who do we vote for? All of a sudden, simple common sense uh, decisions suddenly presented themselves as life and death decisions. Right? And in the midst of this, life didn't stop. Uh, here's a picture of my family. You've seen this. Um, you guys have met some of my kids. Uh, you've, heard, you've seen, watched some of them grow. And they are a good-looking bunch. I'm a little, uh, you know, partial over here. Okay. Uh, you've heard some of us. We tell some of their stories. But this year has been a year of big decisions in our family. Not just, you know, common sense decisions, but huge decisions. So the kid with the Aloha uh, T-shirt, he got married last year. And then, just last week, bought a house. So those were huge decisions. Uh, the kid on this side, he got engaged last year after struggling through, should I get married, should I not get married, should I not? Yeah, he got engaged last year, and in 40 days, they're getting married. Uh, yeah, woo! The kid in the middle is the one who complained about the food. <laughs> But she just finished high school last year and went through that whole process of, you know, what does God want me to do? What career do I, uh, uh, line do I go through? Which college do I go through? And then choosing a college, going through her final semester of uh, high school during the pandemic, picking a college, moving into college, getting COVID, all of those things, all of those decisions, all happened in this last year for our family. For us, for Mino and me, the, some of those decisions are like, now what do we do? Now that we are officially empty nesters, what do we do? Right? They are big decisions. And it's easier when your kids are little and you can tell them what to do. But when they get up to this stage, they don't really ask you for an opinion. But you, you know, they have no experience. I mean, choosing a life partner, buying a house, choosing a career. Those are huge decisions that you get to make when you're least experienced in life. And my prayer this year for my kids <clears throat> has been that they lean into God and make their choices based off their relationship with him. So today what I want to walk you through <clears throat> is what, much of what I have walked my kids through this past year. So will you pray with me? Oh, Father God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for those who are gathered here and those who are listening online. Lord, I pray that you would anoint these words, <clears throat> that you would keep our hearts ready to hear what you have to say to us. So, Father, go, come, come here, be in our midst, speak to us. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so the question is, why do you want to make wise choices? Well, some of us believe that if we make wise choices, we'll be successful. We'll be blessed. Things will go well for us. But <clears throat> I believe making wise choices starts from the choice of where we want to end up. 
to know where you want to be before you start making choices. John 17 verse 4 gives us Jesus' end goal. He said, Father, I have glorified you on earth having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. What was Jesus' purpose? We sang about this, to glorify God. That was his purpose. And how was he going to do it? By living in obedience, accomplishing all that God had given him to do. Now this has become my daily prayer for myself and for my kids. I daily pray, Lord, let me glorify you in the decisions I make and help me to accomplish all that you have given me to do today. And as I pray for my kids, I pray that God, you would help them to glorify you and accomplish all that you have given them to do. When I think about making choices, I am a person who needs a map. Although I can't follow a map really well because I don't know left or right. But, <clears throat> you know, I like the GPS. It says, when you see the Wendy's, you turn right. You know, then that makes sense to me. But God is more interested in what's happening inside of us as we go into the process of making decisions. And so he gives us a compass. He doesn't give us a map, he gives us a compass. He keeps pointing us to true north. And his purpose is unchanging because God does not change. And what is his purpose? <clears throat> that Jesus will be glorified in all the earth. The first step in making good choices is knowing what your goal is. For the follower of Jesus, it is to glorify God in everything, daily. So an easy question to ask as you go into life making decisions is how does this bring glory to God and further his kingdom? Psalm 78 verse 72 is one of my favorite uh, end of life verses. It says that with an upright heart and skillful hands, David shepherded his people. David's goal was a heart that was right with God and that cared for his people. And that's what guided his decisions and his choices. David made mistakes, but he kept that goal in mind, that I would be right with God and I will care for God's people. So uh, I was listening to this little podcast by Stephen Furtick, and this was one line resonated with me. He talks about basketball, but now you must know I don't know anything about sports, so I have vetted this illustration through my husband and my children, so it should be good. <clears throat> so he talks about this thing in basketball when a player gets the ball and he's dribbling it all over the court, and he's not, he's nowhere near the hoop where he needs to throw the ball into. So he's dribbling it, he's dribbling it, he's avoiding all the other players, and all of a sudden he pivots and turns and throws the ball into the hoop, right? That's what the life of a Christian should be. You may not understand the plan, you're trying to make decisions and everything's confusing around you, but you as a follower of Jesus pivot to the purpose. Okay, and the purpose is to glorify God. You know, you, we know David's story. Oftentimes he didn't understand God's timing. Many times he didn't obey God and he sinned. <clears throat> but in those times you watch David, 
he pivots back to God and his purpose. Sometimes that takes repentance. Sometimes that takes forgiveness. Sometimes that takes uh, coming before God in worship or in sacrifice, right? But David, wherever he was, he pivoted back to God's purpose. So start with the goal. Our passage of scripture today is a very short one. <clears throat> You'll be happy to know that. But anyways, it's Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. And some of you know this by heart. We should have had a giveaway of how many of you know Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6 by heart. And the verse, verse is very simple. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Trust in the Lord. This little phrase is used over 180 times in the Old Testament alone. It means put your confidence in God. This is what I'm going to lean on. This is what I'm going to put my confidence on. God is my strong refuge. Trust is hard when you're in a pandemic. Trust is hard when God seems far away. Trust is hard when our circumstances change so much, but we trust because God doesn't change. These past two weeks, I have been almost in daily contact with some of my friends who are doctors and healthcare workers in India. The, I don't know if you've been keeping up with the news there, but the devastation there is horrific. Uh, even this last week, we found uh, we heard story. Uh, we found out about a, a couple of our friends who had died because of the pandemic in India. But each time we pray together with our friends in India, I am challenged by their prayers because they hold on to God and their prayers are, "God, you are sovereign. God, you're in control. We trust you. Help us." to uh, weather the storm, help us to glorify you in the midst of it. Okay, so we trust God, number one, because he's our creator. And since he created all this, he's in charge of it. Secondly, we trust God because the word used for Lord in that passage is Yahweh, the God who keeps his covenant with us. As we look back over our lives and as we look into God's word over and over and over, we are reminded that we have a God whose steadfast love never fails, never fails. A God who keeps his covenant with us. Even when we fail, God keeps his covenant with us. This is the God whom we get to trust. Uh, the writer of Psalm 136 over and over says, we can trust God because his steadfast love endures forever. It sticks, it stays. Jeremiah the prophet, even in the midst of this horrible devastation when his nation was destroyed by the Babylonians, he stands there and he says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So we trust God because he's our creator and in charge of everything. We trust him because he's our covenant-keeping God. His steadfast love never fails. And thirdly, we trust God because he is with us. 
over and over in the Bible, we watch God make a way so he can be with his people. And then he sends us Jesus, who is Emmanuel, God with us. God did everything so he can be with you. So trust in the Lord because he's in charge, he's in control, his steadfast love never fails, and he is with you. So we start with a goal to glorify God and live in obedience to him and trust him because he's in control, he loves us and is with us. But then the verse goes on to say, trust in the Lord with all your heart. I remember when I was in high school and I was trying to figure out my life, like my daughter did last year, and I was trying to grapple with what is God's will for my life. I, you know, at high school, you feel like if you don't make this decision right, the whole rest of your life is chaos. But we learned, you know, that that's not the case. But in high school, you don't know that, right? And I was trying to grapple with what God's will for my life was. And I had a friend who was a wise friend. And he sat down with me and he uh, showed me these illustrations, which I'm going to share with you. The first one is a blue circle. Yeah. And the circle is your life. And this is, a, this is a person who has not asked God to come into their life and trusted God. In your life, there is a throne. Whoever sits on the throne is in charge and directs your life. Your thoughts, your attitudes, your decisions are all made on the basis of who is on the throne. In our house, when we drive our car, the rule is whoever is in the driver's seat gets to pick the radio station. Okay, he, uh, he or she directs the mood in the car. It's the same way with our lives. Whoever sits on the throne gets to pick our decisions and what we think and act on. So the first illustration shows a life which I'm in charge and Jesus is not even in, my, in your life. And if you're in this place, the wisest choice you can make today is to ask Jesus to come into your life, right? That is where you start. If you are looking for wisdom in your life, you need the author of wisdom in it. But many of us are like the second illustration. We do all the right things. We come to church, we're like, uh, we're still in control, we're at this place where Jesus is in our life, but he's not in charge. I'm still in control. I'm worried about being a good God follower, so I make my life all about rules, about do's and don'ts. My choices are driven by fear, and I wonder where God is. I accepted Jesus, but where is he? If he's in control and the the answer is, I have not given him the steering wheel. I am still on the throne of my life. My husband took uh, our kids out for the first few times when they did their driving, uh, you know, when they were learning to drive. And then for pretty much most of their driving, I was the one who, you know, uh, gave them their hours. I took them out wherever I went and they drove and uh, uh, collected the hours they need for their driving license. And I cannot tell you how many times sitting in the passenger seat, it was almost like I was sitting in the driver's seat because I was hitting imaginary brakes. I was turning the car into places. I was screaming. I was holding on to things. All of those things. Even though someone else was in the driver's seat, 
I was driving, I, I was directing where to go and how to do the driving. And many of us live our Christian lives that way. We say, Jesus, come into our lives, but we direct how to go and we redirect what we want our lives to look like. But our verse says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. That is an act of surrender. And it says, Jesus, I want you to be Lord of our life. And so the third illustration kicks us there, which says, this is what a life directed by Christ looks like. We remind ourselves that Jesus is on the throne of our lives. He is in charge. I trust him with everything. So uh, my, my, one of my husband's pet peeves is that almost as soon as I get into the car and he's driving, I go to sleep. He looks forward to talking to me, but I'm fast asleep. But the reason is I trust him. He's a good driver. He always gets me where I need to be. Uh, but more than that, I know he loves me and he has my best interests in mind. Can't say that with your teenage kids, but you can say that with your husband. Trusting with all your heart means that you allow God to be the one who's on the throne, not just for the big decisions, but also for the dailiness of life. If you're struggling because you are on the throne of your life, this would be the day where you say, God, I want you to take charge. I want you to be on the throne of my life. So trust in the Lord with all your heart. What's the next line? Do not lean on your own understanding. I counsel a lot of people, and for most people, they get so worked up with this line, and they say, oh my goodness, I do not want to make a decision because I'm so scared I'll do the wrong thing. And I, I tell them these two things. One, God created us to make decisions. One of the very first things that Adam does in the garden is name the animals. He decides what animal gets which name. Decision making is a big part of us being made in the image of God. Psalm Proverbs 16.3 says, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. God expects us to make plans and he created us to do it. Secondly, he lives in us. He has given us his Holy Spirit. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2.16, for who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. Solomon, uh, who writes this proverb, warns us that very often we trade our understanding for trusting God's perspective. Take Jonah. God says, go to Nineveh, speak to those people, tell them they are in danger. But Jonah didn't think the people of Nineveh needed God's mercy, so he got in a boat and chose to go as far away from Nineveh that he could. Take Peter. Jesus calls him and says, come, walk on the water. And he does, but he takes his eyes off God and begins to sink. <clears throat> when you lean on your own understanding, instead of leaning on trusting Christ, then you're in trouble. I lean on my own understanding when I listen to news that makes me angry or afraid and makes me forget I have a God who's in charge. I lean on my own understanding when I make choices out of fear and forget that I have a God who loves me. I lean on my own understanding when I think if I don't jump and get this or do this now, 
or get into this relationship now or any one of those things, I lose out and I forget that I have a God who's for me and with me. I lean on my own understanding when I lean on anything that is not God. My intelligence, my health, my wealth, my happiness, my status, my friendships, family. I lean on my own understanding when I forget what my true purpose is, that is to glorify God and bring the nations to him. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. And then we get to the next thing. In all your ways, acknowledge him. How do we acknowledge him? Well, very often we think that acknowledging God is singing worship songs, and it is. It really is. But more than that, it is in the dailiness of our lives the way we worship him. We remember that he is bigger than the situation that you and I are in. I remember years ago when I was <clears throat> struggling with the whole question of should I homeschool my kids or not? And I remember how I was so afraid. Would I ruin their lives? Uh, was I competent enough to teach? What if I made a mistake and every, you know, my kids don't uh, make it in life? And a wise friend came up to me and she said, Shantani, even you, even you are not big enough to destroy the plans that God has for you, for your children. Even you are not big enough to destroy the plans that God has for your children. Your God is bigger. This pandemic is not big enough to destroy the plans that God has for you. Online school is not big enough to destroy the plans that God has for you. Your job or loss of job is not big enough to destroy the plans that God has for you. Your health or lack of health is not big enough to destroy the plans that God has for you. Your financial situation is not big enough to destroy the plans that God has for you. God is bigger. Acknowledge it. Number two, God is intimately involved in our lives. He sees the little sparrow. He counts the hairs on our head. You can wait for him to do his uh, work. And thirdly, because of Jesus' death and resurrection, we can trust that God will work his redemption even when we mess up. I was in one of the online prayer meetings uh, for India, and as people are just pouring out their hearts of what is happening and how hard it is and the situations they are in, one doctor spoke up and he said, the worst thing that could have ever happened happened on the cross. The worst thing that could have happened to humanity happened on the cross, and God brought life and deliverance out of that. Stuart Briscoe used to say, if your problem is bigger than a dead Jesus, I have no help for you, right? God brought Jesus back from the dead, and that's the beauty of the resurrection. Because of that, you and I can watch him redeem even the worst situations of our lives, even the worst decisions of our lives. God reveals it. Why? Because he pivots to the plan, and the plan is that he will be glorified. We, have, we, we see it over and over again played out in the, in, the, in the Bible. Joseph, 
thrown into prison, thro uh, 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 thrown into slavery. His life was in ruins because of the choices of his brothers. And yet, we see God had a purpose for Joseph. Paul, full of enthusiasm for God, spends years in prison instead of witnessing for Jesus all over the world. You know, Joseph said, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is being done, the saving of many lives. Paul's prison years were what gave us the, so much of our New Testament. Even our sin, when we come back to God, he redeems it for his glory. Take the story of David and Bathsheba, and both of them, and Solomon, their son, get to be in the lineage of Jesus. You and I can look back at the mistakes of our lives, or those places of suffering, and when we bring them to God, he works his redemptive, eternal plan through it all. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. He will direct your paths. How? Well, he directs your paths uh, through his word. Psalm 119 verse 11 says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Go back to God's word. Now, many of you have heard the story of the man who wanted to find God's will in his life, and he had you know, hardly read his Bible, so he picked up his Bible and decided, I'm going to find God's will, and wherever, wherever my fingers uh, lands, that's God's will for me. So he opens his Bible, and the verse says, and Judas went out and hanged himself. And he was like, oh, no, that can't be. So he tried again, and he opened his Bible, and the verse, right? above his thumb said, go thou and do likewise. And he's like, no, that can't be. The third time he said, this is going to work. And he opens his Bible and it says, whatever you do, do it quickly. So, <laughs> that's not the way we go to God, to God's word, to, uh, to direct us. Direction from God comes from a regular time with him. Spend your time with him. When you go to a concert, when do they tune their instruments? Do they tune it after the concert? No, they tune it before the concert. And you think, I've spent so much money to sit and listen to these you know, instruments being off-tune and then being back in tune. They take the time to tune their instruments because only if the instrument is tuned is the concert beautiful. Take your time to be in God's word. As you tune your heart to listen to him, when you're faced with those decisions in life, then your heart is ready to hear him speak to you through his word. Secondly, he speaks to us through the, he directs us through the counsel of his people who love him and know you well. Okay, you know the story of David and Nathan. Nathan was his good friend, but Nathan would speak into David's life. When David sinned or when David needed direction, Nathan was the one who would come in and counsel him. Thirdly, God speaks through us through our internal convictions. In Daniel chapter 3, we know the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They had this conviction that the God they believed in was worth worshiping not the idols around them. And they stood by what they knew in their hearts to, to be true. They would not worship the king of Babylon's idol. And then God leads us through external circumstances. Esther, for example, the circumstances all lined up for her to do God's will. But 
This is what I've used with my kids through this year. We can go to the next slide. And this is what I tell them. And this is from Stuart Briscoe. Right? You don't take any one of them separately. These things need to line up in a row. So Stuart would call them five ducks in a row. Does this decision agree with scripture? If scripture says don't be unequally yoked, your non-believing boyfriend or girlfriend, that doesn't agree with scripture. You need to think through that decision. If God says you, your heavenly father knows what you need, that greed that you feel that you need to buy, buy, buy this in order to be happy, that does not agree with scripture. Okay, so does your decision agree with scripture? Does your decision agree with the counsel of those who know God and know you? Does it agree with your internal convictions, the integrity in your heart? Be honest with yourself. Fourthly, does it agree with the external circumstances? Sometimes circumstances can help you determine the will of God, but they should never be an ultimate indication of it. It's important to take it in context with all five ducks to evaluate the message. And finally, start a column of pros and cons, and one list will eventually become longer. Okay, so I've given you the compass, but some of you are saying, but Shantani, I really like maps. Will you give me a map? Well, there have been two books which have been helpful for me. One is a book by Andy Stanley, which uh, is, um, um, now I can't remember the name of the book. Oh, Better Decisions and Fewer Regrets. And we can go to the next slide. So this is what Andy Stanley said. This can, this can help you as a map. Okay, ask these five questions. The integrity question. Am I being honest with myself? Really, like, am I needing to sell myself on this thing? The legacy question, what story do I want to tell? At the end of this decision, are people going to look at me and say, oh my goodness, that person cut corners to do this? Or are they, or are they going to say, wow, he followed God. He chose to honor God in this. Then there's the legacy, uh, that's the legacy question. Then there's the conscience, conscience question. Is there a tension I need that needs my attention? Uh, this week I used this with one couple that I'm counseling and this girl had been uh, telling lies uh, about her schedule to uh, her boyfriend who is a, a beautiful follower of Jesus, both of them are. And so he comes to me and says, she's telling me wrong things. I said, what do you mean by wrong things? Oh, she tells me that, you know, things have changed in her schedule, but I know they haven't. And I'm like, that's a lie. Well, no, she's telling me wrong things, but she's such a nice girl. I'm like, is there a tension you need to pay attention to in order to decide on whether you want to go forward in this relationship? And then there's the maturity question. What is the wise thing to do? And then finally, the love question, what the relationship question, what does love require of me? Sometimes we listen to the news and then we get all worked up. And there's the decision at that point where you need to say, what's the love question? What does love require me to do, right? There's another friend of mine who wrote a book called Make a Move, and this is her thing. Uh, and these are some good questions. I love questions, okay? Her questions are, am I letting this decision be influenced by my understanding of scripture and God's best for his children? 
Is this choice going to help me grow spiritually or could it deter my spiritual growth and maturity? How might this decision enhance or harm my ability to be a witness of the love of Jesus to my neighbor? Would this choice encourage and uplift others in my community or family or would it harm the greater body of Christ? Imagine Jesus is with you, which is true, he is in person. How might he respond to your options when it comes to this decision? What would it feel like to take a step with Jesus right there with you? Finally, how does this decision fit with the greater story of God, which guides our stories? All right, so for those of you who need a map, here are some directions, okay? But I would say, keep your compass ready. Right? Keep your life pointed true north. Keep your life, the goal of your life, pointed towards glorifying God and accomplishing his work. And then live your life according to that. Uh, trust in the Lord completely. Do not rely on your own opinions. With all your heart, rely on him to guide you, and he will lead you in every decision you make. Become intimate with him in whatever you do, and he will lead you wherever you go. And so that's how I teach my kids to make wise choices. Honor God, glorify him, be a light in your community, because that's the biggest choice you can make. Let me pray for you. Father God, I thank you that you are a God who leads us, that you're a God who's with us, that you're a God who's bigger than the situations and the problems and the struggles that we have in our life. And Lord, we thank you that you're a God who loves us so much that you grieve with us as we walk through this uh, world. And so, Father, give us strength to follow you. Give us courage to glorify you. And I pray, Lord, that this church would continue to be a mighty light for you in this neighborhood. In your name we pray. Amen.